0: Support for this podcast comes from Transform. Recruiting Future is excited to announce a partnership with Transform. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. Transform 2024 promises to be the best yet. You can expect... Three days of powerful content, innovation showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, over 300 speakers and energising after-hours networking Las Vegas style. So, come and meet me in Vegas on March the 11th through the 13th. Register now and save $200 by going to matalda.me transform. That's matalda.me slash transform. Transform. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 589 of the Recruiting Future podcast. As the debates about the future of talent acquisition rumble on, it's important to really focus on the critical value effective hiring brings to an organisation. Talent remains a key differentiator that drives competitive advantage for a company, and this will be even more true in the future. My guest this week is Simon Taylor, Head of Organisational Effectiveness at Gap who's authored a forthcoming book called Build Smart, a blueprint for building a high-performing organisation. Simon has a TA background and in the book outlines just how critical hiring is for companies. In our conversation, he shares his insights into what makes great hiring and its role in high-performing organisations. Hi Simon and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey Matt, good to be with you.
0: An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So I'm Simon Taylor. I work at Gap. I'm the head of organizational effectiveness there. And a little bit about me, my background. So I'm from New Zealand. You probably hear the accent come through. I uh, lived in the States for for some time now. actually went to the um, University of Washington up in Seattle and did rowing there, which brought me to the States. And since then, just had a fun time in LA with my career. I started off at Disney as a, as a recruiter and really enjoyed that. And that kind of got my feet wet in the, in the talent acquisition space, HR space. And then that moved me on to a tech startup, actually, where I headed up HR uh, prior to their am- acquisition by Amazon. So that was a whirlwind and you know, a phenomenal experience. And then since that point, I've been in the sort of OD, OE space Uh, at companies including Warner Brothers, Amgen, which is a Fortune 500 biotech company. And like I said, I'm at at Gap right now. So yeah, that's a bit about me. I live just south of LA and um, and work work remotely for Gap, who's based in San Francisco.
0: Fantastic stuff. Now, one of the things that you've done recently is you've written a book called Build Smart, A Blueprint for Building a High-Performing Organization. Tell us about the book. What's it about and why did you write it?
1: Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I noticed as I was working with executives at you know, a variety of different companies over time is that leaders were often finding themselves having to recreate the wheel around how to build a high-performing team, how to build a high-performing culture, um, and so on. And it just felt like, man, people leaders need a bit of a framework. They need sort of a playbook, if you will. To be able to navigate the sea of information that's out there around some of these topics. And so I wrote the book with that goal in mind of really providing that framework to be that sort of the what I would hope, what I would hope to say is like a somewhat of an ultimate resource for leaders to be able to pinpoint and address the biggest pain points in their organization um, on things related to you know, culture, hiring, high-performing teams, you know, clarifying your vision, sharpening your strategy organizational structure and so on. So it's intended to be a bit of a, you know, sort of a resource that folks reach for on the shelf every every month or two when they come up with a different team or organizational challenge. And, um, you know, I've called it a blueprint for that reason as it's intended to be kind of instructive. So, yeah, it's been a seven-year process and it's been a labor of love, but a phenomenal phenomenal experience too is I've really wanted to get the right guidance in front of leaders to be able to serve up the latest research, the latest sort of tools and frameworks and ways of thinking about some of these various topics. And like I said, be sort of their ultimate guide for leaders, the one-stop shop, so they don't have to keep looking online or reading the latest article, but they uh, they have it all at their fingertips.
0: Congratulations, because I know how difficult writing a book is, so getting it out there, absolutely brilliant. Obviously, it's a very dynamic time for the world of work and talent at the moment. What are the, the sort of common issues that you're addressing in, in the book, and, and how can companies solve them?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's one thing that's been interesting is I've been giving this broader topic around organizational health, organizational effectiveness, building high-performing companies, giving that a lot of thought through the book, book writing process. And what's become even clearer to me now is that every company has a unique set of circumstances and opportunities or challenges or things that are sort of getting in the way, um, if you will, of them reaching that next level. And one of the things, the concepts I talk about in the book is this idea of what's called a rate limiting factor. And that's something that comes from the fields of economics and biology and a few things, but... What it refers to is that that thing, that that thing in that system that creates a constraint um, or a cap on the speed or performance of the system as a whole. It's the weakest link in the chain. And so, you know, if you think about, just to share an example, we think about like my car, for example. I took it to the mechanic recently and changed the tires, and the car went faster around corners and accelerated better because the tires were the rate limiting factor. And so companies also have rate limiting factors and they're different for every company. I'm getting back to the core of your question. And so one of the things that I hope the book provides for folks is enables them through this framework that I've designed, you know, laid out in terms of what an organization is, is enables them to be able to pinpoint exactly which are their rate limiting factors, which are those weakest links that are holding them back. And, you know, to what I have seen is more of a trend than often than not is that, organizations tend to always struggle with a few things. One is building a high-performing culture. It seems like that's just a perennial topic that leaders are grappling with. How do we evolve our culture? How do we become more innovative, more nimble, more inclusive, whatever it might be? Culture seems to be a key one. Um, another one that I, I feel like, you know, there's always, always um, an opportunity uh, is, is around the topic of hiring and how do you hire well? How do you bring the right talent to the organization? Of course, there's an attraction piece to that, but also how do you assess them correctly and integrate them? So, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, every organization is going to have something a little bit different, but my hope is that the book arms people with the the framework, the, the sort of the tools and resources to be able to pinpoint what those areas are and address them.
0: Now, unsurprisingly, considering the type of podcast this is, we're going to dive deeper into the hiring and recruiting aspect of this. Just before we do, kind of as by way of context. Now, you used to be a recruiter. Lots of people listening are recruiters, talent acquisition professionals. And obviously, we consider hiring recruiting to be the most important thing that a company can do from your perspective in terms of sort of looking at the, all of the talent function and everything an organization does right at the moment how important is recruiting and hiring
1: it's so important and you know and I I met with the director of the Center for Effective Organizations from USC which is this sort of think tank out of USC, um, his name's Ed Lawler, and he founded this organization a few decades ago. And it's really cutting edge in what they're doing around organizations. And I asked him about hiring in particular, and he said something to me that was really I thought quite astute and really hit the nail on the head. And what he said was that the ability to attract and organize top talent makes it difficult for other organizations to compete or duplicate your competitive advantage. And I think if you know that really sums up the value. Add, if you will, of great talent acquisition, of great hiring, is that you're bringing people in that you can have as differentiators for um, your organization to make it difficult for others to compete with you because you've got the best talent. So I, I think of it you know, that way. And I think on, on the flip side, on sort of the other side of the coin, is if you don't have hiring uh, in a good spot and there's challenges there, then you've, you really have a leak in the boat. I mean, how, how can your organization survive or thrive long term? If you know through the natural course of attrition, you're not bringing in the right people that, that are going to, at the very least, maintain the organization's sort of um, trajectory, if not accelerate it. So I think you know hiring is one of those things where there's it. You don't always see the negative effects of bad hiring immediately. It's one of you, know, if you Think of that two by two grid from I think it's um, Stephen Covey of importance and urgency. Good hiring is sort of that high importance high agency or maybe even lower agency in terms of the perception of the organization. So it really takes um, proactive effort to do it right. But um, I think there's always opportunity to do it better.
0: I love that way of thinking about competitive advantage. That's just so true. And I think that as an industry, we really need to think like that 100%. So at the moment, recruiting talent acquisition is kind of in a bit of a flux in terms of how it works, being disrupted by technology, companies thinking very differently about what talent is and how they sort of find people for their organization that are going to give them that competitive advantage. What do, you, what do you think that companies need to look for to make a great hire in 2023 going into 2024?
1: Yeah, yeah. Great question. You know I think there's some fundamentals here that are always true and there's probably a you know some timely things that are p- particularly important right now which uh, which we can touch on too. So one of the things I talk about in the book I heard a frame I framed the chapter up on hiring and sort of two two buckets of you know what to look for and how to look for it. And sort of in the what to look for category I lay out these four things that make for a great hire. And the first one is they have the necessary skills. That's sort of the table stakes, the obvious You know, fundamental you've got to have. Someone has to have the necessary skills and experience to be able to perform in the job. The second one is they're a culture fit, which I would sort of define that as not only being compatible with the culture, but also adding to the culture, because invariably organizations are trying to evolve or push their culture forward in some way, shape, or form. So not being too narrow in that perspective, but having folks that are going to add to the culture. Otherwise, you'll have the corporate immune system will be triggered. And I'm sure we've all seen examples of where. You know, there's a cultural misfit, and it, it's not good for anyone. So that's the second piece: is culture fit. The third one is the high potential, and I think that's really important. And one that I think companies maybe don't give as much attention to as they could is assessing individuals not just for can you do this job and are you compatible with the culture? Do you have the the mindset and the skill set and sort of that some of those intangibles to be able to succeed in future um, environments, environments that may be different from today. And to your point around 23, 24, and where we're at right now is, you know, it seems like the perennial issue, but things are changing so quickly. I mean, AI is one of those things that's coming out of out of left field. And so what we need is, is people who can quickly change and adapt and navigate through ambiguity. And these are all characteristics of high potential people. So I think that's really key. And the final one here, is um, they complement the team. So if we think about the idea of diversity and specifically cognitive diversity or diversity within a team, different perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, I think um, a lens that doesn't always get the, the attention that maybe it deserves is this idea of how do you create a, a truly diverse team in which everyone complements one another that collectively sort of the, what is that saying? Some of the Some of the parts is greater than the whole or, or however that's said. Uh, the whole is greater than some of the parts. So I think that the idea around complementariness, to use a bit of a long word, and thinking about what are the skills and the, the, the strengths of the team and what are the blind spots of the team today? And how might that inform who we need to attract, who we need to hire to the team to make us well-rounded where we can strengthen and support one another?
0: A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work, ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process, and use Winolo to find quality workers fast, and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over a 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com. That's www.wonolo.com. Slash Pod and take the stress out of finding workers. What are the common traps you see organisations fall into when it comes to hiring?
1: Yeah, I think that it's a great question. I think the classic one, and I think we've all been guilty and also susceptible, you know, susceptible to this over time, is someone comes in the door and they're really eloquent, like they present well, they're confident, they've they string their words together beautifully, they've got you know great answers to all the questions, and they they don't miss a beat if you will and it was funny because as I was researching a bit around this because intuitively I felt like man that's you know that's a proxy and, or can be helpful to you know for roles that really need someone to be eloquent and that's that's an important characteristic but again I think there's a bit of bias there and we can put too much stock in that so as I was researching around this um, I came across this really interesting sort of uh, concept I think if you would call it from the from the field of psychology called the Dunning-Kruger effect have you heard of that before?
0: Yes, I have. I have. But tell us more.
1: Yeah. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is essentially it's, I mean, if you think of it sort of like this, um, a chart in which has a sort of a, a sharp rise on one end and it's sort of a big dip. It goes down to a low point point, then comes up again. That represents someone's confidence. And so the what, the what the concept basically lays out is that someone who is not very competent will have an inflated sense of confidence because they don't know what they don't know. And so you have someone that's sort of this inept newbie, to put it bluntly, who feels like, man, I, I understand this topic. I've got a point of view. And they just don't know what they don't know. So they're uninformed in their, in their optimism and their confidence. Whereas those that maybe have a bit more of a sort of moderate level of competence who have sort of been in the trenches for a while, they know enough to know they don't know it all. And they know who the experts are and the gap between them and the experts. And so their, comf- their, com- their confidence is a bit more moderate. And then at the end of the spectrum, you've got those that truly are experts and their confidence is in line with that. And so it's kind of an interesting thing to think about that as a, a possible heuristic or tool to, to consider, Well, wow, this person really confident that I'm interviewing. Is it because they're an expert or is it because they maybe have an inflated sense of confidence because they actually have low competence, which is a bit ironic? So I think that's, that's an important um, sort of trap to consider. There's a, one or two others I talk about in the book as well. Um, one of them is around sort of the classic thing that I think is underpins a lot of challenges when it comes to diversity and inclusion is affinity bias. We, we tend to like as humans, people that share similar values that are like us, they have similar skill sets, maybe similar background and you, and, and, you know, unintentionally can hire a clone of yourself. And you know that's problematic from a diversity standpoint in terms of complementary perspectives and really strengthening the team. So I think that's a trap to watch out for. In addition to placing too much value on eloquence, and maybe the third one I would offer up would be this idea of having a narrow perspective on intelligence. And I, I heard this when I was working with the CFO of Warner Brothers, and she shared this concept with concept with me. That was at the time was was a new concept, and it, it really stuck with me. And it. Uh, It's based on some research from, I believe it's Robert Sternberg from um, Cornell University. And what he has found through his research is that there's three different types of intelligence. And we all possess one, you know, all of them in some some way, shape or form, but we rarely will be highly intelligent in all three. And so the three are creative intelligence, analytical intelligence, and practical intelligence. So creative intelligence being the, the, the ability to be really creative, come up with good ideas, you know, what are those innovative solutions and, and novel, novel ideas that are going to make an impact in the organization? So, creative intelligence. The second one, analytical intelligence, the ability to be able to assess different ideas. Uh, you know, what's the right course of action? What's the pros and cons? Um, how should we think about designing an effective solution um, that gets maybe a little more into the analytical detailed side of things? And then the third piece, uh, practical intelligence. And I'm sure you've all seen these where there's people who just, man, they. you give them a task and they figure it out, they blow through the red tape where they need to and figure things out. And they've got a, this practical intelligence that enables them to think on the spot, come up with innovative, practical, pragmatic solutions and make things happen. And so that was a fascinating concept for me when I first heard of it, thinking of intelligence in maybe a broader way than what we have been brought up to think of when it comes to intelligence. And I think that has a lot of uh, relevance when it comes to hiring and thinking about who's the right fit for the team and going back to that point around complementing the folks on the team that we have today and building different kinds of intelligence and different capabilities.
0: I think that's really interesting. And what you really highlight there is just how difficult hiring is in, you know, looking for kind of all of these things, not falling into these traps, you know, and I've seen great organizations make all of the mistakes that you've just talked about. So how, how can we deal with that? I mean, what does a great hiring process look like?
1: Great question. You know, it's funny. I was talking with a, a, the head of talent acquisition for a fortune 500 company, and I won't say which one, but, um, head of talent acquisition, and I, I was asking her about the, just the general competence level of hiring managers. And her, her response to me was, everyone thinks they're an expert in hiring. And of course that, you know, and, and the, the hidden message there was they're not, right? They're not an expert in, but that, that's a problem because if you have people thinking that they know something, see, there's a saying, I forget who it's from, it's an um, old Greek philosopher. It's impossible to, for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. So if you think you're an expert, sort of that, you've got a fixed mindset potentially, and you're not going to be open to learning. So I think that is a real, real key problem. and We can talk about process, but I think a fundamental problem to really grapple with is how do we upskill our hiring managers? And part of that, I think, by virtue of a, good, of a well-designed, you know, learning experience, training, whatever it might be, will be helping them see, you know, what the opportunity is and what they could learn. I think back to my previous point. But I think we've really got to help hiring managers hire well. Like you said, it's not it's not easy. There's, it's an art and a science. And I think we do the organization a greater service if we don't have strong hiring practices in place. And I think that the barrier to, to consider and to overcome when it comes to this is organization's capacity and sort of a sense of, you know, everyone has conflicting priorities and different things going on. So I think from a change management standpoint, It's really important to secure the sponsorship of the head of HR and other senior leaders to say, this is an important priority. We need to hire well because that's going to support our strategy. And so therefore, to do that, we need to train our hiring managers and invest the time. And it can't just be a quick 20-minute e-learning. It needs to be immersive. It needs to be multifaceted. And and we need to make sure we're actually building capability and can verify that with data. So I think that's like a fundamental thing I I would sort of mention, Matt. I can go into process if that would be helpful, but um, I'm conscious I don't want to go beyond make too too long of an answer here.
0: I think it would be good to talk about process a little bit, but I think what would be interesting is what you talk about there in terms of getting that stakeholder buy-in to make those changes. I know that there will be people listening, screaming in agreement, but struggling to make that happen in reality what advice would you give people to get that buy-in to make the organization really appreciate the importance of what they're doing and invest the time and resources to do it properly
1: yeah yeah it's such a good question change management is sort of my one of my greatest passions and area where i've really focused my career because like you said it's just it's so important because you can have the best ideas but if it doesn't get traction, then, of course, it's not going to have the impact. So how I I might think of it is trying to identify what are the, you know, leveraging data to start with. How can you tell a story through data that there's a problem to be solved, that there's an opportunity to be seized? And then bringing that data to who you would hope to be your executive sponsor. I would think of the head of HR as the logical person for that, typically. If you you may be in a smaller organization as the CEO or both. And how do you help paint the picture of, hey, there's an opportunity here or there's a problem here when it comes to hiring, and here's a compelling solution that could address that need help bridge the gap. And I would think the building hiring managed capability would be a key part of that. And I think once you've really developed a clear problem statement and you've you know secured the buy-in of one or two key people, then that can lead to a bit of a tipping point where the momentum can shift. I think a key point I'll add on to that, which I touched on briefly before, is if you can link that problem not only to financial impacts to the company, but also to the success of the business strategy, now we're talking the language of the senior leadership team. And, you know, I think that's really important to be able to make that connection. And, you know, in HR sometimes... We, we stub our toe by not making that connection to real business value. You know, we know the business value intuitively. We can talk in it in our own way, but but we've got to put it in the language that resonates with, with the executives that are going to ultimately need to sponsor this and get behind it. So those would be a couple of thoughts I would offer up in terms of securing buy-in for this kind of work.
0: Absolutely. That makes that makes perfect sense. Moving on and looking a bit towards the future, as I, as I kind of said earlier in the conversation, very disruptive time at the moment. What do you think the future of the talent function looks like? And also, what impact will generative AI have on that?
1: You know, it's interesting. I, I think what I've observed just over my career is there, there's some fundamental things that don't change. Uh, We need to create an environment in which individuals can thrive. We need to be able to listen to them, to get input from, you know, where, where they're at and what's going on for them, you know, how to build capability and the right skill sets and so on. There's a number of different things that cover the talent management spectrum that I think are pretty fundamental, but of course, over time, how you do that evolves and changes. I think a clear example of that is pulse surveys, replacing the broader census surveys that were popular beforehand and using online platforms. So I think there's going to continue to be evolution there from a technology standpoint in particular across the suite of talent management. But if we think about talent acquisition more specifically, I think AI is going to be huge. I think, you know, both sort of traditional AI and generative AI, I think there's some interesting solutions out there already, but I think they're going to get better and better over time. But if I think about talent acquisition in the maybe three three buckets of like workforce planning. So what are the skills you need? What's the talent you need for the future? Bucket one. Bucket two is finding the right candidates. And bucket three is internal movement. So finding the right candidates internally essentially. I think all three of those areas are ripe for disruption when it comes to AI. And that could wrap you know drastically enhance the the efficacy and the the quality of those processes. You know, I think the challenge that was identify early on with AI is who's designing the tool and how might bias be implicitly woven into some of these AI solutions. And I think that there's some good work happening to mitigate that and ensure that bias is not actually um, in there and, and quite the opposite. And it's sort of focusing after um, looking after some of the, whether it's diversity goals or what have you, and ways to be able to be more intelligent about that. So I think that's really, really key from a, from a talent acquisition standpoint. In terms of AI and more traditional AI, no doubt there'll be generative aspects to that. But I think it's more about just really sophisticated, just fundamental AI to be able to match people up with opportunities. And then on the generative AI front, you know, this is a this is a quickly evolving space. If um, you, or, you know, your listeners have used ChatGPT, that just sort of came out earlier this year. I mean, that's I mean, who would have thought we would have a chat bot like ChatGPT that could do the things it could do? in twenty twenty three, I mean, it's it's remarkable. So it was interesting, I was listening to a, a conversation with the, the CEO of OpenAI, who is OpenAI, is, um, ChatGBT is from OpenAI, it's their, their product. And what he said is that the AI space is changing so quickly that you should focus less on trying to find people that know about a certain skill set per se, I'm talking broadly here, but more about having the mindset and the skill set to be able to learn and adapt with AI, So that kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier in terms of what's a good hire and how do you find the right people. But I think you know the the idea around being able to hire people that have this innovative mindset and are entrepreneurial in a certain sense and are comfortable with technology and comfortable with solving problems and figuring things out, I think these skills are going to be really important because the, the full opportunity and the full value of generative AI has not become realized yet. There's great great progress, but I mean, gosh, who knows where we're going to be in five years, ten years? So, because we can't know the future, like I said before, you know, we just need to think about how do we infuse the right mindsets, get the right people on board that are going to be able to capitalize and be on the sort of the tip of the spear of leveraging this technology as it evolves and as it becomes available.
0: Absolutely. And final question: Where can people find the book, and when when, when is it available?
1: Yeah, you can check out the book on my through my website, Simonataylor.com. And uh, it's releasing December sixth. So uh, definitely come check it out. I will have it up for pre order on Amazon. So you can, you know, if you hit, hit the website before that date, you'll be able to find it there. Um, but yeah, Simonataylor.com.
0: Simon, thank you very much for talking to me.
1: Thanks so much, Matt. It was a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Simon. Simon's book is actually now out in April but if you go to his website simonataylor.com you can pre-order it and get a free download of one of the chapters. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com or On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.